is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, I'm George Cup. And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gur. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political officer, George Cup. Hello, everyone. This evening, Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the evening. Tonight, we will be discussing, will we remember Jeremy Corbyn's stint as Labour leader positively? Which of these recent incidents will feature most extensively in future history books? And lastly, have you ever travelled abroad? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, so last week we asked you guys to send in your questions for George and I to answer. So the first one's in from Lewis and Lewis said... I was really confused when Boris Johnson and the Chancellor announced all of these funds that were going to become available to help businesses through the coronavirus, paying employees, still being able to operate despite everyone staying home, etc. It seems like this is the first time when businesses have physically had to shut because the government has told them to for everybody's health and safety, other than very small examples if there's a threat like a terrorist attack. So I have two questions. First, Where is the government physically getting the money from? Because not too long ago, everyone was saying this country has no money and suddenly we have loads. And secondly, if the economy is going to crash and it's going to all be really bad financially, how is the country going to recover and people actually have money to spend again? George, it's a very good question. What what would you say to that? 
Well, I'm going to try and answer both your questions in kind of one answer. So where has the money come from? Um, if we go back to the recent general election, the Conservatives have always promised that there is money there to be spent on things and there were going to be coming a lot of investments uh, coming in during this year if everything was normal. Um, as time has gone on during austerity, we've been able to um, save money. We've been able to make sure that money is there so we can spend it on certain things. Obviously, because of the, the current circumstances, the government have had to go into emergency pots and, and areas like that to ensure that we have got access to this money um, to make sure that those that need the help can get the finan financial help. Now, there is absolutely, Lewis, there is that chance that there will be a financial crash at the end of this. But I don't think it will be anything significant because the reason the government is spending all of this money right now is that so when this pandemic is over, there won't be that financial crash. It's so that those people will still have the money um, that, that they need to have. And it's so that the government is supporting all those businesses so they don't go bust, so they can still open when this is over to ensure that as soon as this is over, our economy can can come back booming and i do actually believe that this will this whole pandemic will teach businesses a whole new way of of um doing business for example allowing their um employees to work from home and i think all different kind of aspects like that is going to help our economy be boosted um to a lot to a lot stronger position than it currently was or is um so I totally can understand your myth as to where this money has come from. But at the same time, the government is taking the right approach to ensure that this money is being funded into the right places so that when we come out of this, we don't crash down. Um, our economy doesn't crash down. Callum, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good question from Lewis because it, it does obviously draw up a lot of questions. I mean, as George says, um, there was plans anyway to kind of... Um, loosen the reins a little bit and and be a bit more free in terms of our spending anyway i mean compare comparatively between boris johnson and theresa may that has always been a kind of crucial difference that we've seen um but obviously this is really kind of unprecedented um the the, the money that we're seeing being spent on this um and I, I won't pretend to be an expert for for one second i think on, on <laughs> economics in general i mean I've, I've never been known to be particularly good at maths but but my understanding is um in terms of where this money actually is is coming from george is partly correct i think but i think it's also coming from the, the bank of england themselves so they're yeah. Um, they're creating some money through a process called quantitative, quantitative easing. Um, so they're going to basically, at, at this point in time, uh, the UK government has outstanding loans to the Bank of England of about uh, £435 billion. Pounds. Um, so they're actually going to expand that total by another £200 billion to weather this crisis, as it were. Uh, in terms of the, the kind of second part of the question of um, how is the country going to recover from this? Um, I, I mean, to to be kind of blunt, I suppose, the, the idea of this program and this massive spend that we're seeing is to try and um, lessen the impact of that. It's very similar to what we actually would have seen uh, in 2008 after the financial crash, uh, it's very similar to what actually um, Gordon Brown, who was then Prime Minister, done then. Um, so it, it's, and it, it did actually, to a certain extent, work at that time because it did actually prevent 
a recession. And I think that's the kind of goal that the government's going for uh, now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, our next question came in from Emma. And she says, this is a bit of a psychological one, but I thought it could be interesting. Apologies if it isn't. Uh, I'm sure it will be, Emma. I, I don't remember a time in my memory where there hasn't been a huge anxiety-inducing news story. We had the Scottish independence referendum, the, then Brexit, and Trump basically at the same time, and now a global pandemic. When Brexit come down, we had the huge climate marches. We, lit we literally had like two months of calm before this pandemic became the only thing in the headlines. Here's my point. Do you think we're kind of doing this to ourselves? Do you think that we are in a cycle where we need these sorts of anxiety-inducing, all-encompassing news stories as a nation? Otherwise, we do not know uh, what to do with ourselves. Like, is this it now? Are we always going to be spiralling? I hope the answer is no. Well, Callum, is the answer no? Uh... <laughs> I kind of think we do always need this kind of big uh, moment or, or this big event or big crisis that's that's causing a, a, a massive amount of panic. And I think a lot of it is very much a result of what the media does and the way that they um, like to obviously, I mean, it, they always say that you, you'll sell more papers when you, you know, you've got a really big controversial stories so so i suppose these kind of moments are, are really good at that um so so i think to a certain extent we we are doing it to ourselves and and to a certain extent it's probably in a sense always going to be like this but i think that's probably something that people would have been arguing 10 15 years ago as well that that was the case um it's just that then when you actually look back with um with hindsight, um, you sometimes see that they weren't actually as a as big a source for panic as as what it maybe seemed at the time. Uh, what do you think, George? Um, so I think that my personal opinion on this is that it's a kind of like it's very hard to compare what's going on now from the history books because I believe that right now we are in a much more liberal society. Um, the idea of democracy is a lot more uh, in place and the freedom of speech is a lot more in place. And because of that, it allows um, politicians, it allows individuals to push on certain areas to make change. And it, it, it makes... Um, people want to to liberate certain areas of um industries or societies and because of the, the world we live in today there are things in place to allow them to do that um and because of that i think that's why we are seeing so many of these referendums coming about and all of these different um climatic stories that happen as well it is purely because of the where because of where society is today yeah yeah i think social media also plays a part in that in kind of generating that panic as well yeah um right then uh, remember we'll be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show so make sure you're ready for that for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show and we'll be back very soon Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking the question, will we remember Jeremy Corbyn's stint as Labour leader 
positively. So last week was Jeremy Corbyn's last ever Prime Minister's Question Time. Mr Corbyn has been the le leader of the Labour Party since 2015. During that time, he has led the Labour Party through two general elections, the European referendum, a Labour leadership contest, and he has faced three Conservative Prime Ministers. Mr Corbyn took Labour through a new path of politics. He started conversations that many people were too afraid to talk about. But his leadership will not be remembered kindly by some. During his premiership, he saw Labour go through many accusations of anti-Semitism. He never won a general election. And it's very fair to say that he did divide his own party. But, Mr Gurr, what do you think? Will the history books be kind to Mr Corbyn? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think they will be particularly kind to, to him. Because I, I think ultimately... Um, when we're looking at party leaders, they're really very much um, how we view them is very much determined by whether or not they perform well. And, and, and in the case of a Labour Party leader, that would mean they have to become prime minister and they'd have to get Labour into government. And, and so I think ultimately, because of that, he, he won't be seen positively. But I think, obviously, there is an argument to be made that he did change politics in, in a positive way. Um, so I think, for, for one thing, he, he, he Mr Corbyn gave voters a, a real choice. Um, so I think in, in 2015, people maybe would have looked at the, the parties um, under uh, Ed Miliband was Labour leader at the time and uh, David Cameron was Conservative Party leader. And they would have said that these parties are, are representing very similar visions for the country, um, kind of both representing austerity. Um, whereas Mr Corbyn did really change that. Um, so in 2017 and 2019, um, people were faced with a really stark choice. Now, whether or not that's necessarily always been the most positive thing, um, it is debatable, but obviously, nonetheless, it does show maybe some of the strengths of um, Jeremy Corbyn's time as Labour leader. And, and I think the other thing I would say is that let's not forget how close, actually, uh, Labour came to winning in 2017. Uh, I know they obviously did come back from, they seemed miles away, actually, at the time of it. But actually, in, in terms of the the raw kind of voting figures, they came actually pretty damn close um, to uh, getting Jeremy Corbyn as prime minister. Um, and I think what that means is that possibly with a slightly more charismatic and media friendly leader, they could win, but still with that radical program, because it was quite a radical program compared to Ed Miliband and Gordon Brown and, and Tony Blair. Um, and, and so it does show that radicalism could po possibly win. So there's kind of ways you can look at it positively. But I think overall, we, we won't be looking at um, Jeremy Corbyn's stint as Labour leader as positively, because ultimately, the ultimate goal for a Labour leader is to get into government. And he failed at that. What do you think, George? Yeah, I think um, I will hold my hands up on this. It is often hard uh, as a Conservative to pay compliments to a opposition leader but um i think it, it would be wrong of me not to uh be able to at least say that he did as callum rightly said he did change politics he, he was able as i said in, in the introduction he brought 
um, topics to the forefront that many others in his position wouldn't have even dreamt of. Um, and I do believe that he brought a, brought an argument for, for those people that had never actually been able to be heard before in politics. Um, I think he did have many downfalls. Um, there was always that split in the Labour Party that wanted to still be um, part of the Blairite administration, more kind of to the centre of the party rather than to Corbyn's more left side of the party. And I think that, unfortunately, the history books will be unkind to him and his his stint will be uh, unfavourable because... As Callum said again, it's it is ultimately the the success of a party leader is whether or not you get into power. Um, and it is very rare that we find ourselves with a leader that hasn't become prime minister and yet still carried on to fight another general election. Um, I know that he got voted. Um, he's it, there has been murmurs of him being challenged before, but nothing ever came about of it. Um, but also, I would say that I think it would be wrong of me to sit here and, and blame Jeremy Corbyn for the failure of Labour, especially in the last general election, because I think the group momentum have got a lot to uh, be blamed for in that area as well. I don't think they helped the situation. I don't think that they helped the Labour Party in any way, shape or form. If anything, I think they actually damaged the Labour Party. Now, I know Mr Corbyn was the person that allowed them to come into it. Um but ultimately, I think that they did more bad than they did good. And of course, we, we Jeremy will always kind of be remembered for that anti-Semitic tone within the Labour Party. Um, it is unfortunate what happened under his premiership um, and his oversee of the way he handled uh, anti anti-Semitism and the the accusations that came from that. Um, but I think that there are definitely the positives to come out of his leadership. And I think that because of him, the Labour Party will never be the same again. And if anything, I think the Labour Party will either um, split in the future or I think that there will be um, an, a, another party more to the left side of um, politics now that, that comes about because of Jeremy Corbyn. But ultimately, he, he brought an argument that um, was very rarely seen in politics. And some might say it was refreshing. And uh, Callum is absolutely right that there is definitely the um, argument to be made that Labour's policies aren't actually... Um, are quite fondly taken by the public and they actually aren't that scared of them um, because they do want that change after 10 years of austerity. It's just in the last general election, there were many other factors that came into it. Um, so yeah, I think ultimately Jeremy Corbyn won't be favoured um, in the in the history books and I don't think it will be that positive for him. Yeah, and it's, so it's quite interesting, obviously, um, because do, I, I've got kind of a question for you, George, in terms of do, do you think that Corbyn's stint as Labour leader signals the kind of final nail in the coffin for the new Labour project and, and kind of Blairism, if there is such a thing? Um, because of, obviously we did see with past leaders, Gordon Brown and, and Ed Miliband, we, we saw them try to distance themselves to a certain extent from Tony Blair and his legacy. But Corbyn obviously moved them so far away and we, we saw a physical split of the party with the uh, independent group for change and a lot of 
kind of long-standing Blairite MPs leaving the party. So do, do you think that now li- New Labour is completely dead or could we see them be resurrected through maybe even one of the leadership candidates? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm glad glad you've asked that, Callum. It's, it, it absolutely depends on who is going to win this um, Labour leadership co- uh, contest. I think if Keir Starmer gets elected, um, I think people will be surprised at the approach that he takes. I do believe that he will come more to the centre than Jeremy would ever have gone. Um, and I think, if anything, he will start touching upon not anywhere near as close to, but I do think he will start touching upon certain elements of the Blairite era. Um, and and I think that he is quite prominent to do that as well. I think that he's made it quite clear that he isn't afraid to move the party in that direction. And as I said earlier, if, for example, Rebecca Long-Bailey gets elected, then I would say that we will definitely see a, a possible split within the Labour Party. But then you could argue that all of those people that have just been elected um, that are Labour MPs on a manifesto that was under Jeremy Corbyn's um, oversight. And as such, they shouldn't actually have that much trouble um, with accepting the very kind of socialist policies that they are. So I don't know. It it definitely depends. I think if Keir does come in, I think that will be the case. Do you you agree with me? Um, So I I think that the that no matter who the the new leader is now, I think new Labour is dead. And I think Blairism as an ideology is is dead to a certain extent, because even someone like Keir Starmer, who is obviously, as you say, he's much more centrist than what um, Jeremy Corbyn is, or at least the the kind of media perception of him is that he's much more centrist. Um, But even so, he's not going to go along the lines of what... um, what Tony Blair did. I, I don't think there'll be a kind of strive towards austerity. I think, at least for the next few leaders, I think mm. Labour is going to be a very strongly anti-austerity party. Obviously, the times have changed anyway, because um, the Conservatives aren't, to a certain extent, they're not really an austerity party anymore either. Um, but I, I do think that we, we're not going to see a return to those really Blairite policies. And, and we're not going to almost see um, Tony Blair be almost let off the hook to, a, hook to a certain extent, like what we maybe would have seen with some other um, leadership candidates in the past. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And Callum, what, how do you think um, our lovely audience will uh, vote on this? This is difficult because there's been a couple of poll results recently that have really threw me off. Um but I'm going to say that they're going to say no, it won't be viewed positively. Uh, 60% will say no. What about you? Um, yeah, I'm going to say 55% will say no, um, it won't be positive. Um, but there's only one way to find out, and that's for you guys to vote away. So uh, remember to vote on this question. Will we remember Jeremy Corbynston as Labour leader positively? And you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this. (laughs) 
hello and welcome back so before that for that song even not even for that question so before that song we asked uh will we remember jeremy corbyn's stint as labor leader positively and you guys have been voting away so 42 percent of you said yes we will and 58 percent of you said no we won't well callum all we i will say is go on we were, we were very close actually for once weren't we yeah i was pretty close Oh, I was closer. Uh. <laughs> Maths isn't my strong point, George. Let's let's not get into this. <laughs> right, uh, let's move on to our third discussion of this evening. And we are asking the question, which of these recent incidents will feature most prominently in future history books? So last week, we asked you guys to send in some questions. And we loved this one from Joshua so much that we decided to have a bit of a longer discussion about it. So when Joshua sent in the opinion, he said, this has been, or a question rather, he said, this has been on my mind a lot recently because a lot of people called Brexit a historic moment. And now people are calling the coronavirus a historic moment. But I'm actually a history student studying for my A-levels. I'm year 12, so I'm expecting to actually take it next year. And I couldn't imagine studying either of these things as part of my history course, either for GCSE or A-level. Between Brexit, the coronavirus, Trump, the rise in right-wing politics in Europe, and the climate change debates, what do you guys think will actually make the history books? And do you think will be studied in the future in school? So we've made a slight tweak to that. So the question we're asking is, which of these recent incidents will feature most prominently in future history books? And so those options are Brexit, the coronavirus outbreak, the rise of Trump and right-wing populism, or the climate change movement. So George, which of those do you think is going to feature most kind of extensively? Well, 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 well. Um, it's definitely hard because obviously all, all of those will play a very big part in any history book. Um, and it's it will be incredible to read those history books as well, I must say. But yeah. I think I think for me, right, if we if we say at this very, very moment in time, I think the biggest thing that will be uh, prominent is probably if we if we're going to localize it to the united kingdom i think it will be brexit now i say that because currently right now i'm as much as i absolutely respect um and appreciate that the coronavirus is a pandemic um i don't necessarily think at this moment in time there has been that much of a change or anything for it to be that prominent in terms of uh, if we put the time scale against brexit or something like that and for me as well the climate change movement yes i think that will be incredibly uh prominent but i just feel like because um climate change arguably is happening right now it's one of those constant things so i think that climate change movement will always be there so i think the history books will find it hard to keep um on top of that when i think that that movement and that kind of political um agenda will always be in the current media so for me i will definitely argue for brexit i think brexit in terms of making history in terms of keeping to democracy in terms of um a vote that has changed opinions and changed politics then absolutely brexit ticks all those boxes um and i think that because of that it will go in the history books now whether the history books will um say that brexit was a good thing or a bad thing who knows because no one can tell the future i mean if you can please drop me your number because i'd love to know what happens um 
but it's it definitely for me i think brexit is one of those things that just stands out how about you callum yeah see see i actually it's one of those rare discussions i suppose where i actually disagree with you there what uh, <laughs> i know <laughs> shocked uh, see, I don't think Brexit is going to feature massively prominently. And, and, and the reason why I think that is because um, I was talking about this with my uh, brother before coming on to the show. Uh, and he said, in, in school, you don't learn about us joining the EU, uh, as in, as when I say us, I mean the United Kingdom. Um, so, so why would we learn massively about us leaving it? Um, I mean, does that make you kind of reassess um, whether you think Brexit is going to feature so prominently? Because we, I mean, the, the average person probably wouldn't know what the, the Maastricht Treaty was, for example. I mean, what do you think, George? Well, firstly, um, thank you, Jordan, for bringing in your logic. That's just made my argument seem really bad. <laughs> um, and secondly, I would say that if I go with what I argued last week and the fact that I hope that politics will be taught in schools very soon, um, I think that's why Brexit will be as prominent, because I think politics will be involved a lot more readily in schools um, and a lot more prominently as well. So that's why Brexit and joining the European Union will be um, taught more often. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that does... Um makes sense so kind of moving on to, to what I, I think will feature most prominently then um I, I think at the moment um obviously with the coronavirus outbreak happening as we speak we're a little bit too close to the um puzzle to see the picture that's forming so so we can't really know um for, for sure whether or not this is going to be a, a, a massive thing but but i would say that um even now, in, in what we're living through at the moment, we do know that uh, in the past week, a quarter of the world's population has been, been in lockdown. Um, that, was, that was some of the news outlets were, were breaking with that this, this week. Um, you know, we've seen, and these are figures as of uh, 4.53 today, um, that, that there's been over 600,000 confirmed cases of the coronavirus. There's been just shy of 30,000 deaths. Um, and 203 countries, areas or territories with cases. Um, so, so we can see that the impact of this is massive. I mean, 203 countries or, or areas, you know, that's probably uh, coming up to the impact of what the, the Second World War had or what the Cold War had. Um, so, so I think there's a case to be made that, that this will feature um, quite prominently in future history books. Um, but I also think, obviously, Trump as well, this, that's a massive thing and the rise of right wing populism. And then, of course, we can't deny the fact, obviously, the climate change movement is is massive as well. You know, I mean, on the 20th of September process, we saw um, a reported four million people worldwide take part in strikes. I mean, that's um, that's really massive numbers, really. Um so, but but for me, um, I think that although I said that we are um, obviously living through it and it's very difficult to tell, I think coronavirus outbreak could well um, feature really prominently in future history books. But I also do definitely think the climate change movement will, not necessarily because it's having the most drastic impact on our lives right now, but I think climate change will in the future, and therefore it will become much more important to see 
how the um, movement to raise awareness of that um, was developing at this time, because it's only really becoming more prominent at this moment now, and we're living through that history. Mm, um, mm. But George, I just wondered what what of these do you think is going to feature kind of the, the least in history books? Is there any of these incidents that aren't particularly important or not as important? I think I think you're you're right in saying that it's hard to for us to tell how the coronavirus will be um, implemented in history books because currently right now we don't actually know the full circumstances that it will um turn into because we're only what we're only a week into full isolation and it's sorry yeah and it's it's just kind of hard for us to to see what the impacts will be i mean obviously we can predict what they will be but we don't know that for definite um so i i think the i think possibly without not trying to be um, sympathetic towards everything that's going on currently right now, but simply because I can't tell the future on what how the coronavirus is going to affect us, I would say the coronavirus will feature the least amount in history books um, for, for me. What, what about you, Callum? See, I'm, I'm going to say Brexit, actually. <laughs> I know ah. that sounds ridiculous for me to be saying, given how much I've banged on about Brexit for the past couple of years of doing the show. <laughs> um, but I, I do think it, in a certain sense, it won't feature as prominently. Um, ju just because also Brexit's been, although obviously UKIP and Nigel Farage were, were massive kind of architects really in, in making Brexit happen, it's been carried out still by one of the two traditional parties. It's been carried out by the Conservative Party. Um, whereas if we compare that to obviously the rise of Trump, OK, yes, Trump is a Republican president, but he is like nothing we've seen before. Uh, and with right wing populism in uh, in Europe and, and across the world as, as well, we're, we're seeing these figures who are massively different to, to what we've seen before. Although I would say for them to feature even more extensively, there probably would have to be some kind of war or something like that. So let's... Um, Let's hope that doesn't happen. And sure. and 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 just quickly, Callum, what yeah. out of these options, what do you think will be portrayed in the most positive light in the history books? Ooh. Uh, I think probably the climate change movement will be um, for being kind of the early forebearers of what then became a, a a massive emergency facing us. I know we talk about the climate emergency right now, but um, the effects are going to be felt. Um, for future generations, even even worse, I, I do truly believe. So they'll be seen really positively for that. I think for for um, making the case now in in this time. Uh, what do you think, George? Just very quickly. Yeah, no, I absolutely have to agree with you on that one. Okay, and um, uh, what do you think is going to kind of come out on top here? I think the climate change movement will come out on top. Yeah, I I, I would tend to agree with you there. Uh, right, it's time for you guys to vote away on this poll. So the question is, which of these recent incidents will feature most prominently in future history books? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk. Force us listen, and those options again are Brexit, the coronavirus outbreak, the rise of Trump and right-wing populism, or the climate change movement. And we'll be back very soon. <laughs>
Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we asked which of these recent incidents will feature most prominently in future history books. And you guys have been voting away and it's a, a very shocking result, actually. So 38% of you said that the rise of Trump and right-wing populism will feature most extensively. 33% of you said the coronavirus outbreak, 15% Brexit. And in last place, what me and George predicted would come out on top. <laughs> Uh, 14% for the climate change movement. George, I mean, how do you explain that one? <laughs> well, I mean, once again, Callum, I think you've just proven that you can't listen because I'm pretty sure that I said that uh, right, the rise of Trump and right-wing populism will come out on top. <laughs> Every time you do that to me, George, <laughs> my heart jumps a little bit because I was like, did I not listen? But I definitely did listen. You, you, you're not rewriting history, George. You're not writing those history books. <laughs> oh that's so bad i had to laugh um <laughs> right let's move on um to the last question of this evening and as always i like to call it the most important question um have you ever traveled abroad so during these very difficult and unpredictable times i think it is so important to keep positive and to keep a healthy mindset one way of doing that is by reminiscing of the times you've had on holiday with your friends or family when planning a holiday not everyone everyone wants to go abroad within our country we have some amazing places to go to but callum i think i know the answer to this but have you uh, have you been abroad i i, I don't I don't think you should think. I think you should know, George. We've been on holiday together and it was abroad. So, yes, I, I have been abroad. I didn't, re I didn't uh, realise that was you, to be honest. I just thought it was some weirdo that Tom had brought along. Oh, it's it's Ralph, isn't it? That's, that's what yeah. I've been on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so, so yeah, I, I mean, I have been abroad. I mean, I, I absolutely love going abroad. I mean, it's... it's um, the the highlight of my year quite often go, going on on holiday although i don't I'll, I'll go every year and i haven't gone every year for like the past good like past five or six years but i, I do absolutely love going abroad um and, and i think it's it's important to go and kind of experience different cultures to a certain extent although i'm not sure we always do that as much as what we should when going going abroad but um yeah, I mean, it's still massively important. And uh, what about you, George? I mean, well, obviously, I I know the answer as well. Um, so so why why do you think people might not have gone abroad? Um, well, I mean, I think because sometimes it is always nice to stay in your own country. There are many different love. If we're talking about the United Kingdom or England, for example, um, there are some fantastic holiday destinations like centre parks um, and I mean, even Butlins, places like that that are actually really lovely places to go to to get away with a family. Um, and sometimes if you've got a big family, going abroad can be so expensive and, and actually going to a nice campsite somewhere where you've got the fresh air fields, the beach is sometimes actually just as nice as um, going abroad. I mean, it, sometimes I actually think there is more of a benefit of staying in your own country because when you go abroad, you just sweat loads um, and you get really badly sunburned, or at least I do. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I very much like Callum, when I was younger, um, I went abroad uh, every year and then uh, when my mum and dad split up, I stopped going abroad until I started going away um, again, just with my dad and then with uh, my my lovely boys, including Callum. Um, you sound and, like your children, your boys. <laughs> I mean, I am known as like the dad of the group. I tell everyone off. 
<laughs> that that is sadly very true um so um and and callum and myself and others we're not going just by ourselves um we we're going to greece hopefully in september if we're allowed to go who knows um but yeah i i think i think there is definitely those benefits of not traveling abroad um but i think possibly with a lot of package holidays nowadays it's become a lot more affordable for families to travel abroad now Do do you agree yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely um, become much more affordable. I mean, that that's one of the reasons why um, UK destinations, at least in the past, I think they're kind of undergoing a bit of a renaissance now, but I, they, they definitely struggled in the past because of that the, the rise of those kind of budget airlines capable of taking them there for, for cheaper almost than, than staying in the UK. Um, but, but focusing on the UK then, because uh, obviously we're both me and you are patriots, George, and we, we love our country. So, so um, what what's a place that you've uh, never been to in the UK, but you'd absolutely love to go to? Oh, I would love to go to the Isle of Skye um, in Scotland because it's one of those areas that is incredibly resort, and it's it's just that I don't know that really gorgeous island that's that's quite um remote that not many people have been to and it's just i don't know that that the idea of peace and 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 quiet and just being able to be with yourself and whoever you take along with yourself um that would be that would be amazing i i'm always one to, to to try and travel in this country like i always love driving all the way out to north wales um and and traveling around there um because of the scenery i think we've got some of the most beautiful scenery in this country so yeah no, for me definitely somewhere like the uh, isle of sky how about you callum yeah i think i'm gonna um stick in scotland as well and and, and say uh orkney or, or shetland um I, i'd love to i'd love to go and um go and see them as well i mean for very similar reasons to to what you've said, George, really. I mean, I just would love the kind of tranquility that I think you, you could get, or at least in my mind you could get. Although, as I said, I've never been there, so I don't really know. Yeah, no, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> do, you, uh, do you think people are going to... There's a lot more people that have travelled abroad than haven't? Uh, yeah, so I reckon probably 80% of people will say, yes, they've travelled abroad. What about you? I'm going to say 75% have travelled abroad. Um, but again, there's only one way that we will find out that result, and that is why you guys voting away um, on this question. Have you ever travelled abroad? And you can do that at uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this. And welcome back. So before that break, we asked, have you ever travelled abroad? And you guys have been voting away. So 73% of you said, yes, you have been abroad. And 27% of you said, no, you haven't. Well, Callum, that's another point for me there, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's your, it's your first point in the night, George. But um... I mean, I, let's be honest, all this all this predicting malarkey, I am way ahead of you. <laughs> Overall, I I would probably have to agree with you there. I I, I am notorious for being terrible at predicting things, but um. Sorry, did you just call yourself a Tory? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, George, you might want to um buy a dictionary maybe. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I never realised dictionaries can help with hearing. But there's a uh, <laughs> good old advice from uh, Kalinger there. If you need, if you've got difficulty hearing, buy a dictionary. Right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it is now time for Callum and I to be saying byezy bye. But thank you so much, everybody, for listening. I so hope we've been able to bring a smile to your face this evening and taken your mind off the situation. Um, but you have been listening to To Be Discussed with Kalinger, and we do incredibly hope you've enjoyed this episode. So as mentioned earlier for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like you to send in your opinions on the question. Tell us a positive thing that lockdown has meant for you. You can send in those opinions by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter. That's at wizardradio. So remember that question is tell us a positive thing that lockdown has meant for you. And we're really looking forward to hearing those next week. But it's now time for George and I to say ciao for now. So I've been Kalinger. And I've been George Cup. Please, everybody, stay positive. Keep a really healthy mindset. And we'll be back um, next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of To Be Discussed. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.